It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, one last note about the Super Bowl. A record-shattering 123 million people watched the game. It's been described as the most watched live event since the moon landing. You know, it goes up every year, but if you don't think part of that is the Taylor Swift effect, you are in denial. And meanwhile, Travis Kelsey, I saw a picture of him today, you know, trying on a sweater or cardigan in a department store. He's bankrolling a couple of movies. I mean, now that it's the off-season, he can really get even more famous. Um, John Stewart's debut Monday night on The Daily Show drew 930,000 viewers. That is far more than the program had been uh, averaging under either these different comedians or uh, Trevor Noah. But as good as John Stewart was, in his comeback. Last night, the host was Jordan Klepper. I I mean, he may be a fine comedian, but it's kind of like if you have Patrick Mahomes and you bench him and you bring in some quarterback that nobody's ever heard of. Klepper did tell a joke about Stewart uh, worked one day and now he's taking a long-deserved break. (laughs) Anyway, this just... I don't know. This just stopped me in my tracks. When you think about it for five seconds, it's understandable. But the CDC now says that if you get coronavirus, you don't necessarily have to stay home from work or school or whatever for five days. You know, four years ago, I mean, look, this is a disease that killed 1.2 million Americans. And originally, as I recall, it was 10 days that people were being urged to not infect anybody by staying home. But what this is based on is that most people have developed a level of immunity to the virus because they've already been infected or got various vaccinations. And so really, it's it's CDC catching up with reality. So if you don't have a fever or other symptoms for 24 hours, then... According to, I mean, this is according to sources, but it's going to happen. You can go back to your normal life. What a sea change. All right, story number one. George Santos. You remember him. Lying, fabricating, outlandish member of Congress who was expelled by the House and is under indictment for fraud and other criminal charges. Well, the people of his district, which is mostly on Long Island, got to vote yesterday. And the Democrat, Tom Swazi, won pretty easily over the Republican challenger, who is someone yeah, that most people had never heard of, Maisie Pillip. And so, as always with these elections, especially for Democrat wins, you know, everybody with a pundit's license is coming out and saying, this has huge national implications. And look, 
it's better for the Democrats to have won the seat to and have lost it rather than losing it, especially when there's Republicans have such a tiny majority in the House. This gives them one more vote. But the idea, I always say this one, these, you know, one-off local elections, they're all different and they don't, most of the time, have any national implications at all. For example, uh, Swosey has been around local politics on Long Island for about 30 years. Everybody knows the guy. It is interesting that he ran by taking on two issues that Republicans love to run on and that he did not run away from. He, he tacked to the center. One of those is illegal migration and the other is crime. So he also uh, flashed a kind of independent streak, fired up the Democratic base, also talked about abortion rights, also talked about Donald Trump. So here is a former congressman from the district, Steve Israel, um, telling the New York Times, a very interesting lesson for Democrats that you can escape your opponent's attacks on immigration by not only leaning into the issue, but doubling down on it. Uh, here's one quick anecdote. Uh, toward the end of the race, uh, Swazi was on his way to a meeting, learned that Maisie Pillup was going to hold an event at a Queens migrant shelter. Part of the district runs into Queens in New York City, uh, blaming him for the nation's growing border crisis. So what happened is he told his car to change the route, fought through traffic, got there just in time to follow her, go up in front of the news cameras and try to get, you know, steal some attention at her event. Swazi's win are preventing, is preventing the Democrats from having an election year freak out. He's a big ally of Joe Biden, but the other side of the story is he distanced himself from the president and the National Party. He didn't want Joe Biden coming near the district. That will be harder. And remember, because it's a special election, he has to run again in November. And it may be harder to take some of the more liberal positions that Swazi took in more moderate districts. Now, what does Donald Trump say about this? I will tell you. Uh, I have an almost 99% endorsement success rate in primaries. This is from Truth Social. But just watch this very foolish woman, Maisie Pillip, running in a race where she didn't endorse me and tried to straddle the fence when she would have easily won if she understood anything about modern-day politics in America. In other words, not my fault. MAGA, which is most of the Republican Party, stayed home, and it always will, unless it is treated with the respect that it deserves. I stayed out of the race. I want to be loved. Give us a real candidate in the district for November. Swazi, I know him well, can be easily beaten. Well, who would be this real candidate? Uh, is this some kind of Valentine's Day message when Trump says, I want to be loved? I don't know. You interpret it. Now, this is very much related to the other part of this segment, and that is on their second attempt 
House Republicans have impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. That happened yesterday, late yesterday night, by a single vote. So look, if you said it was an embarrassing defeat for House Speaker Mike Johnson when he brought up the impeachment, didn't know how many votes he had, and lost by a couple, now he managed to win by one vote. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened yesterday because if the vote had been delayed just a short time, Swazi would have taken office, the Dems would have had one more vote, and it would have ended in a tie, which means that Mayorkas would not have been impeached. Now, the same three Republicans that voted against it last time voted against it again. So Mayorkas becomes the first sitting cabinet secretary to be impeached. The last guy, 150 years ago, had already resigned his seat, and that was a corruption scandal right after the Civil War. So the Speaker put out the vote saying this was Congress's constitutional obligation to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, They've been calling for his impeachment since the day he took office. Spokeswoman for Homeland Security said they were trampling on the Constitution for political gain rather than working to solve the serious challenges on at our border. Without a shred of evidence or legitimate constitutional grounds, and despite bipartisan opposition, House Republicans have falsely smeared a dedicated public servant. Nevertheless, and I was with Laura Ingram on this. I mean, they're already trying to impeach Joe Biden. Why do you impeach a cabinet secretary who is carrying out the president's policies? That's not what impeachment is supposed to be about. But it's an exercise in symbolism. It gives them more coverage of the border issue. And Chuck Schumer said that he will, there will be an impeachment trial At the end of this month, the House Republican managers will present the articles, but I'm not exactly going out on a limb here with the Democrats narrowly, I mean narrowly, controlling the Senate by one vote. Mayorkas is not going to be convicted. He'll stay in the job. Republicans knew that. They wanted the issue. And of course, the Dems come back and many pundits come back and say, look, You, Mike Johnson, helped kill this bipartisan border bill, which would have accomplished much of what you want. You know, they say President Biden can shut down the border today, but it would be challenged in court and, you know, its fate would be uncertain at the least. Instead, your solution to the problem is impeachment. Not since 1876. Okay. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Story number two from Politico. A column by Jonathan Martin. And I must say... um, He's a lot more interesting to read 
once he returned to Politico from the New York Times, we had a write in that, you know, according to the New York Times style book and Mr. This, Mr. That, Ms. This. Um, and he combines opinion and reporting. The Republican refrain goes something like this. Democrats know Joe Biden can't win in November and they, it's always they, are going to replace him at the top of the ticket. Nikki Haley said, my bet is 30 days from now, I don't think Biden is going to be the nominee. She didn't call for him to step down. She just made this observation. Trump has made a similar observation. This is known as cover your ass in Martin's phrase. There are two obvious ways in which Biden doesn't seek re-election. He changes his mind about running or he suffers a health crisis. Democrats had their chance to speak out against Biden running for re-election at nearly 82. They failed to do it, and now there is no they poised to intervene. That's why this whole thing is a myth. Maybe you already figured this out. But here's the best paragraph. I really like this paragraph. The short answer as to why Biden is almost certain to be the Democratic nominee is Donald Trump. The former president effectively controls both parties. What? Trump is the Democrats' best fundraiser, organizer, mobilizer, and importantly, force for unity. He is the adhesive that binds a coalition that ranges from, you know, Democratic Socialists to Bush Republicans. This centrality of Trump and the Democrats' determination to block his return is what insulates Biden within his own party. The proverbial moat around the Biden White House is stocked with very classy Trump-branded alligators. No major Democrat dares question the president because that risks weakening him and helping Trump. So Trump unites the MAGA Republicans. Trump unites the Democrats. Uh, If Democrats are so fixated on stopping Trump, why are they sticking with an incumbent who's deeply unpopular, received uh, receives scant credit for the resurgent economy and faces existential questions from voters about his fitness for the second term? And the answer is, it's too late to make a switch. Last year, more elected Democrats were saying, at least in private, They hoped Biden would step aside, but nobody wanted to say it out loud except, I don't know, Marianne Williamson and then uh, Congressman Dean Phillips, who's running a, I don't even want to call it a long shot campaign, a fantasy campaign, I would say. And nobody wanted to be asked the inevitable follow-up question. So, are you for Kamala Harris? Instead, Democratic leaders kept quiet, hoped that Biden's numbers would improve, or he would decide on his own terms not to run again. When I was on Martha McCallum's show yesterday talking about Biden's memory issues and related matters, she cited a poll by a you know major reputable organization. 86% of those surveyed said Biden wasn't fit for a second term. And it was something like, I'm pretty sure it was 57%, clearly a majority of Democrats agreeing with that. How much weaker could an incumbent president be? But, you know, nine months to go. And I said, look, if Joe Biden 
makes this election about Donald Trump, he will win. If Joe Biden, who is going to get the nomination, if he's the issue, he will lose. And then, like, Leslie Marshall jumped in and said, no, you're wrong, Howie. Uh, You know, um, people don't like either of these candidates. They're both old. Yeah, but they're both doing it, was my response. Might have been drowned out a bit. Biden, 81, Trump, 77, are both trying to make the other the issue of two presidents running against each other. Both have records. And both are trying to say, hey, at least I'm better than the other guy. So Republicans say, look, I mean, uh, Biden's not feeling any pressure. Not even one, you know, nationally prominent governor or senator for the Democrats is willing to publicly question whether he should run. They've all fallen into line. And then would if they didn't, they'd have to decide whether to embrace or reject Kamala. Oh, you think it'll be the DNC? The headquarters is an arm of the Biden White House. And state leaders are the party loyalists who saluted Biden when the president shook up the schedule so that South Carolina came first. And by the way, the RNC is a subsidiary of Donald Trump's campaign. That's why he's able to say, I want my daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, to be the co-chairman of the party, and the party has no choice but to swallow it. So finally, oh, um, he's craved the presidency, this would be Joseph R. Biden Jr., for a half century, run for the job three times, and aspires to be a consequential man of history. As uh, one Biden advisor said, nobody walks away from this. Story number three. You know what President Biden did yesterday? He made a televised speech from the White House. Important subject, legitimate use of the bully pulpit, but I don't think two weeks ago, Joe Biden would have given this speech on camera. He either would have said these things at a fundraiser or made a statement. You know, he's always putting out those statements. But having gotten beaten up by the special counsel for his poor memory, I think he has finally, finally understood, I mean, I've been saying this for two years, that if he has any hope of winning, he's got to use the power of the presidency, and that includes making speeches on TV, also taking questions on TV, engaging the media, which his people have shielded him from doing more and more blatantly because they're afraid he's going to mix up Mexico and Egypt. They're afraid he's going to make a gaffe, to which I've always said, so what? Joe Biden is famous for his gaffes, and that's a reasonable price to pay to get into the news cycle. Donald Trump goes, look, he, he goes to uh, courthouses where he's on trial. He doesn't have to show up at this stage of the game, but then he comes out and he talks to reporters and he makes his case. That's how it's done. So the topic was NATO. And by the way, Joe Biden, in his half-century career, has always been a strong supporter of NATO. Also, Joe Biden wanted to use television to make the case against Trump. 
And also, he wanted to change the subject. When Trump handed Biden the issue by saying at the South Carolina rally that NATO members have to pay their full share, which is 2% of GDP on defense. And by the way, there are some countries that do not. And if they don't, Trump said, and they are attacked, I'm not going to protect you, the former president said. Russia and Putin can do whatever the hell they want. Now, that sparked a furious reaction from the media, from European leaders. I mean, this had global tremors. So Biden says, he didn't take any questions, but he said he would take questions within the next day or two. Biden says yesterday that the Senate had shot down the bipartisan bill that would have helped defeat the vicious onslaught of Putin's Russia against Ukraine. Can you imagine, Biden said, a former president of the United States saying that? The whole world heard it. And the worst thing is he means it. No other president in our history has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. Let me say this as clearly as I can. I never will. For God's sakes, it's dumb, it's shameful, it's dangerous, it's un-American. Now, when Joe Biden goes before a camera and uses words like that, that makes news. Still being talked about today. Remember, there is this Article 5 pact among the NATO countries. If one is is attacked, it's considered an attack on all of them. That's the Atlantic Alliance that has uh, certainly not been perfect, but has been together since the end of World War II. And what's fascinating to me, who has to watch more television and read more newspapers and websites than is healthy for the average person, is that just as many Democrats came out to defend Biden against special counsel Robert Hur's report, oh, you know, every meeting I've had with him, he is so on top of it. He is so focused. Uh, this is a false picture and Hur never should have done this. I mean, Jen Psaki, uh, the former press secretary for the president, even said on her MSNBC show, uh, asked the guest whether Robert Hur should be investigated. Didn't get a clear answer from the guest. So we have a situation now where it looks like the Senate is going to pass this $95 billion measure aid to Israel aid to Taiwan, aid to Ukraine. However, Mike Johnson in the House saying he will not allow a vote unless it includes legal immigration, which, of course, at Trump's urging, he helped shoot down the compromise package, the trade-off, tighter border security in exchange for foreign aid to these, especially to embattled allies. The House will have to continue to work its own will on these important matters. Now, the only way around that would be what's called the discharge position. Since there obviously are some House Republicans that want to provide aid to Israel, and maybe more reluctantly, 
aid to Ukraine, where it's, the party's just divided on that. If just a handful of Republicans were to cross over and join all the Democrats in enforcing a vote on the House floor, there's a good chance that would win because nobody wants to run for election saying, where the opponent says, you voted against aid for Israel. You, uh, you favor Putin's policies because you wouldn't help Ukraine, our ally, who has people, which people are sacrificing and dying and being killed and wounded. Now, look, Trump's comments may just be a, a, a pressure campaign, negotiating in public, so to speak. And remember, Joe Biden is a guy who passed up softball, the softball Super Bowl interview. It's not all softballs, but mostly it's uh, right over the plate. And so the opposite of the Democrats coming out and saying, no, Joe Biden is so sharp, he's so uh, with it, he has a great memory. Republicans, as I talked about a bit yesterday, are coming out and saying, well, Trump didn't really mean it. And, uh, you know, Trump's not going to actually do that in office. Or I don't have any problems with what he said because uh, these NATO countries should pay their fair share. In fact, here's a follow-up in Politico today. Donald Trump's allies downplaying and spinning his comments, inviting Russia to invade NATO nations. For example, here's Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. He was uh, Mike Pence's national security advisor. I don't take him literally with what he said. I know where he's coming from and the frustration he feels toward NATO allies. Efforts to defend, soften, or add nuance to Trump's words suggest there's an understanding, even among the far right, says Politico, that such a move would carry huge geopolitical consequences, and they're trying to calm everyone's nerves about this. There's a lengthy history of Trump confidants insisting the former president didn't actually mean what he said in public, stretching back to his first campaign. Trump's biggest booster sees a, as a form of strategic unpredictability that keeps the world on its toes. One conservative foreign policy analyst close to Trump says that he understands that if Putin invaded Poland or the Baltics, he would have to help. He knows that. The comments, says this unnamed person, weren't meant for an audience beyond his base. Quote, why the media takes these off-the-cuff comments so serious is beyond me. Trump says one thing and does another. He was at a rally and it's meant for right-wing outlets like One American Network. Don't pay attention to them. Don't pay attention to what the foreign president of the United States says. Really. I mean, I think Trump tells us what he tends to do. And sometimes he softens it or people on his side soften it. Oh, here's an interesting uh, poll number. A majority of Americans and nearly one-third of Democrats believe that President Biden, in the classified documents case, where he was not criminally charged, a case very different from Donald Trump, who withheld documents that were under subpoena, received special treatment from the investigation. 
This is a Reuters Ipsos poll. 53% overall and 29% of Dems agreed that Biden receives special treatment because he is the U.S. president. And it was the same survey found 78% of Americans, 71% of Dems say Biden's too old to continue to work out of the old Oval Office. And this other poll was ABC. 86% of Americans, 73% of Democrats believe Biden is too old to serve another term. So no wonder Joe Biden wants to talk about NATO and Donald Trump. Hugh Hewitt, the conservative radio commentator, has a piece on the Fox website saying the president has now been revealed as impaired. He cannot remember basic facts. He can't deliver even the simplest line. His reports of his angry temper and his profanity are consistent, if not with dementia, and certainly with an ability to weigh and judge important matters with a calm and coherent mind. And he says, look, people age differently. Chuck Grassley, who's 90, is an example of a senator who should remain in power, but others not so much. Uh, Part of the most critical job of any president is communicating with the American people, says Hewitt. First time in my memory, the U.S. embarked on a significant military campaign against Yemen, and the president did not address the country about why. Didn't even do the Super Bowl interview. An infirm president means uh, a warning to us as well. Please, whoever the president listens to, speak candidly to him. It is time for him to go before another crisis arrives. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. And a New York Times piece talks about John Kirby, the retired admiral, who just got a promotion and title, kind of taking the spotlight from the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. Piece says that Kirby is better versed in foreign affairs at a time of a war. He evinces a clarity and comfort at the lectern that can sometimes elude Jean-Pierre, who's more of a rote public speaker, that's being diplomatic, less experienced tussling with an adversarial press. And the White House says, oh, look, Kirby has a larger role right now because of international news, and he will brief less often to reporters once the Middle East crisis ebbs, if it ever does. But here we go. But the perception in Washington that President Biden has allowed Kirby, who is white, to upstage a black woman, who's also not only the first black White House press secretary, but also the first gay White House press secretary, as the face of his White House, has turned their double act into a third rail subject. I don't know why you have to bring race into it. It's just a fact. She's less experienced. He's more experienced. He's been a Pentagon briefer. He's been a State Department briefer. A little bit more politics for you. Nikki Haley attacking Donald Trump, what she got to lose at this point. We're only 10 days till the South Carolina primary. She went off on, and Trump sort of handed this to her, when he, at a rally, started talking about her husband. What happened to her husband? Where's her husband? He's gone. As if her husband, Michael, is just choosing not to campaign with his wife. When, as I said the other day, Trump has to know that he is part of the National Guard. 
and has been deployed for a year-long commitment with other American troops. And so Nikki Haley was on the Today Show this morning talking about Trump's unhinged. And she said if he attacks her husband, he's attacking all veterans. That he has mental deficiencies, she has said in recent days, but also Trump leads Haley in her home state by more than 30 points. And hey, RFK Jr. campaign is in disarray, says a mediaite, an exodus, uh, excuse me, an exodus of campaign workers who say disorganization, lavish spending, amateurish leadership, and a severe disconnect between the campaign and the candidate's values have led his long-shot bid astray. Fourteen members of his staff have resigned since the beginning of the year, including 12 field staff, uh, according to multiple sources. Uh, they're blaming two of the campaign's leaders. One of them, Amaryllis Fox Kennedy, this is RFK's daughter-in-law. Major point of contention has been the spending the other leader of the campaign is an anti-vaccine af- activist. What a shock. And her firm has paid 35000 in uh, December, has made $90,000 off the campaign so far. So all is not happy in Kennedy land. And story number five, and this relates right back to what I was saying earlier. Uh, Axios reporting that privately Joe Biden choose out his aides, particularly over the border, and called, and one top official called a cabinet official, bitch ass. Okay, I don't even know what that means. It's not even Biden, but it's a piece on how Biden botched the border. President lit into his team, including Deputy Chief of Staff Jen O'Malley Dillon, who's now with the campaign, Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall, and other immigration Officials. He was ticked off when his, staff did, uh, when his staff didn't have some data that he had requested. Now, White House spokesman Andrew Bates said in a statement that this meeting was productive and that multiple firsthand participants refute this description of the tone and outcome. It's a complex issue. In the Axios report, former Biden officials say Kamala Harris has been at best ineffective, at worst sporadically engaged in the border. She was put in charge of it, remember? And that top officials at each other's throats, including Susan Rice, uh, being mad at HHS Secretary uh, Xavier Becerra. Oh, it was Susan Rice who made the comment about bitch A and called him an idiot. Okay, this is what happens when you have these leaks. But what strikes me about it most of all is all this stuff about Biden cursing and his aides cursing, it's supposed to make him look tougher in particular. So they leaked, oh, he called Trump a sick F and he called Putin this and all this stuff. I don't think it means anything. I mean, you think there's been any president in modern history who doesn't curse privately? Trump, kidding me, does it in public. But the leaks continue. And that brings us 
to my saying goodbye. Once again, everybody who listens to this podcast, I appreciate your time. That's what makes it fun to do. And I will be back tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.